Hello and welcome. I'm so glad that you've taken time to join us here today. My name is Rick. This is the Voice of Jesus Ministries. And we're in a second season doing a series on the Book of Life Revealed as recorded by John. Today, that book is known as the Book of Revelations. Now, before we get started today, because we are going into some of the deeper parts of the book of life, the book of Revelations. We're going into some really deep parts here. And I can't emphasize enough to all of you that are listening that it is absolutely necessary that you have the indwelling Holy Spirit in your life to understand anything that has been written in the book of Revelations and to understand what has been written. See, there's two different things that, that are happening there. Uh, and the reason for that, and I have been troubled by having to make this sort of a presentation. And the reason I've been troubled is because I know that a lot of people are traditionalists in what they believe and how they believe and what they've stood for for many years and etc etc but one thing that you have to understand and this is why I say for what has been written a very dear friend of mine who is a pastor for close to 70 years in Indianapolis Indiana told me one time Many years ago, he told me this. He said, he said, you know, everything in the Word of God is a statement of truth. However, it is not always truly stated. And when he said that to me, of course, I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, listen, you know, today there are multiple interpretations, multiple versions. And you all recall that there was in one of our videos, I had shown you a Bible that someone had gifted me. And this was the entire Bible in 27 versions. Wow. And you know, I have an app on my phone that allows me to see the Bible in close to 40 40 different versions. And so each one of these versions were written, uh, compiled and written and uh, uh, printed by somebody. And we can only hope that of the multitude of people that were involved in doing any translations, that they had the Holy Spirit in their life, that they had the promise in their life. So that is what the brother was trying to convey to me that, you know, it is very important for us to understand that people have agendas. And, you know, people want to be able to say, well, you know, the version that we have compiled, an entire organization, or even if just a few people, the, the, the uh, translation or the version that we have compiled we believe it to be the best in giving the actual understanding of what the Word of God is saying 
uh, in its printed form? Well, everybody we want to believe starts out with very good intentions. And we just want to believe that they are led by the Holy Spirit when they're doing their work. But the facts of the matter are that not everybody is led by the Holy Spirit that has written a version or a translation. We know this. We know that this is true. So this is why you have to have the promise, the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit in your life. Because the, that Holy Spirit gift, that gift that Jesus brought to us when he visited us here on planet Earth, that gift allows you to be able to discern what you are reading as being fact or fiction, truth or agenda. I mean, just you have to understand that we have not had a printed Bible for many years when you compare it over the many thousands of years in our history as an existence here, okay? We have only had a printed Bible for a few hundred years. Before that, we had some scrolls and some papers and some maybe a booklet or two along the way. But we never had this, you know, until just a few hundred years ago. And since then, you know, the, the, the uh, Tyndale version was actually the first version that was uh, written, you know, and, and, uh, and there are some older versions in there, too, but they weren't full Bibles. I'm talking about a full Bible. And then we, we came along with some time, and we ended up with a version that was called the King James Version. And, and I'm not going to go into the history of the Bible. You can research that for yourself. You'll find it absolutely fascinating. And you'll see what I mean when I say, you, you know, there are, are many people who have written in what we consider our holy Bible, who weren't even, who didn't even know Jesus, who weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. So the bottom line again is this. You have to have the Holy Spirit in your life when you are reading the written word and when you are understanding what it is saying. Because you see, it's the Holy Spirit that takes what's there and gives you what he wants you to know. And it may not even be what you read. That is the wonderful thing about having the Holy Spirit in your life. You can read two or three scriptures and then the Lord will just pow. He will give you an inspiration of, from, the, from his Holy Spirit that gives you a truth and an understanding about what you just read. And it may not even relate to the words or the assembly of the words. That's called discernment. That's called inspiration. That's called a gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. That is the promise. That is the, the, the absolute gift that Jesus brought to us. You don't have it. You need to get it. And that's a fact. Okay? Because with that in your life, 
You're not going to be led around like a bull with its ring, a ring in its nose. You're not going to be led here and there by all kinds of tales and stories. And, and especially, uh, you know, some of these denominations, they take their denominations very seriously. Rabbit trail for just a second, okay? Just recently, I had gone in for an eye exam. And the, the doctor that examined my eyes, bless his heart, he's a wonderful brother in the Lord. He and his wife are involved in a couple's ministry uh, here locally uh, that deals with couples that are having problems or just learning how to be good couples. They have a great ministry. But we were talking about different churches, and he has been in a particular church for many, many years, the same one, and then recently changed from it. It was a kind of a traditional church to a more modern church. Well, he had asked me about where do I go to church? And I told him, oh goodness, you know, I have been in many, many different churches. I started out in, in this persuasion as a child, not having a choice. This was, you know, you're going here, and then uh, a little older, you're going here to a different place, and then you're gonna go here. Each, each one was a different church and a different denomination. And it doesn't make any difference, okay? Because this man turns to me and he says, Oh, you are a gypsy Christian. And I thought, well, I guess so, if that's how you want to interpret me. And really, what I wanted to say, but I didn't, was if that's how you would like to judge me because I don't fit your standards. But the thing of it is, right then and there, immediately, I had this incredible thought in my head. The end of chapter 7 in the Gospel of John to the, the very first verse of chapter 8. It says that all the disciples had left that evening and went to their homes. But Jesus went into the mountains because he had no home. So if I'm considered a gypsy, then I think that's very cool. You know why? Because I guess... He would say Jesus was a gypsy too because he didn't have a home and he went from mountain to mountain and space to space. Okay, so I'm just trying to make a point here. That point is everyone has an idea of what they believe and how things are supposed to be. And you have to get past that. You have to get past judging people. You have to get past thinking you know everything there is to know. You have to get past believing that your parameters are the only ones that exist on planet Earth. They are not, okay? So, going back to what we were talking about, when this dear brother who pastored for 70 years says to me, remember now, everything in the Word of God is a statement of truth, but it is not always truly stated. Thus, we hear in our minds a scripture from Timothy that says this, study to show yourself approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now listen, there's a reason for that, that particular scripture, okay? And it's, there's, there, it's there to, to help you understand 
that you have to do it. You have to work at it. If you really want to know what the Holy Spirit has to say, then you have to work at it, okay? Just like everything else you do in life. I don't know what kind of a job you have. I don't know what kind of a hobby you have or what's your favorite sport. But any of those three things, if you're really good at it, I can tell you this, you worked hard to get there, okay? If you're a ball player and you're playing baseball and you're able to see that ball coming at you when it's pitched and you see exactly where you need to hit it and you hit it there and knock it out of the park, you didn't get there by just stepping up to the plate for the first time. The same thing is true in your relationship with Jesus. You have to work at it because the world is pulling you away from it in every direction and everything that you do as long as you are alive on planet Earth. The world doesn't care about Jesus. The world only cares about what they can gain, possess, and how much they can have. But you, as a child of God, you have to work at knowing what is the truth. That starts with understanding that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the only source of life. There is no other source but him. So when you start there and you start, as a very dear friend of mine says, drilling down in knowing the truth and the way and that source of eternal life, then the written word of God will take on meaning, but it will take on spiritual meaning. Now, let me rabbit trail one other time. This spiritual meaning of the written word of God. You know, there are many, many people who read the word of God and they take it literally. They take it as though it was just words that were coming out of a book. And these are people that have been in church or have been in a church history for, for many, many years. It's not that way. Everything about Jesus is spiritual. You have to understand that when you read anything in the Word of God, you need to be seeing it through the eyes of the Holy Spirit because it is spiritually coming to you. It is not words that are compiled sentences uh, chapters that you just go around quoting and throwing out and you know how some people are they just want to you know boom 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 with scripture and I used to do that myself boy when I was a young fella I, I was I was with the best oh baby you couldn't keep up with me I could bible thump you up one side and down the other before you could even say hey the bottom line is this you have to have the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. And we're going into chapter 6, which is going to talk about the seals of the book that no one in heaven was found worthy to ha have, to reach out and touch. No one in heaven. 
that the 24 elders, the, the, the seniors that sat before the throne of Father who fall prostrate and worship him daily, not the four living beings that are around his throne, and those four living beings represent his entire creation. No one, none of the angels, none of the cherubs, none of the anything in heaven were found worthy until the slaughtered lamb came forth. The slaughtered lamb came forth and it was handed to him. Now there is some deep spiritual meaning there. And don't forget, it says that his slaughter was bought by the children of the earth who called themselves children of God. They bought his slaughter. Think about that. Mm, that is intense. So this is why today it's been a... I've had to get this out to you to let you know that it is vital, vital, if we're going to continue in this season, in this series, you've got to make sure that you, you have taken the first series, uh, season one, and applied it to your life, and you have received that comforter into your life, the Holy Spirit who will guide you, who will teach you, who will cause you to remember whatsoever Father has said. It's an, an absolutely important. And so thank you for letting me take a moment to rabbit trail here just a little bit. Why? Because this is absolutely important. And I'm going to give you an example of why it's so important. Okay? Look. We are the children of God. We walk upon this earth every day, going here, going there, driving here, running there, whatever we do, okay? But you're a child of God, and you are a living, breathing human being, but you are a spirit that has an absolute connection with our Heavenly Father. You know, people refer to him as Yahweh, Elohim, Jehovah, our Heavenly Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. We have that absolute connection. We are plugged in. He is plugged into us. We are tethered to Father. And he is feeding us on a daily basis. That's a child of God. Oh, isn't it glorious to know that you are a child of God? But here's the thing. You have to understand something that as a child of God, you don't look at things worldly. You don't look at things literally. You don't look at things as though you're reading a book. You look at things with eyes that are filled with the Holy Spirit, that are giving you a discernment and wisdom and understanding. These are gifts of the Holy Spirit that are giving you just a, a, a revelation of what Father wants you to know. And it's wonderful. And let me say something about that. 
It's okay to be in that place. I have met so many brothers and sisters that have said to me, we can't be in that place because if we are, then how are we going to know the truth? If it isn't coming straight from the written word of God and I can't see it in the word of God, then it's not true. Oh my gosh, you are missing out on so much. That means that you are willing to, to take 1% and make it your entire existence with, with heaven and let 99% go. You can't say that. You can't do that. We are spiritual beings. The written word, as we have it, says this. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Listen. That's not the only place in the written word of God that says that. The Holy Spirit wants you to know that in order to have the most that you can have with him, you have to be connected. So, this is something I wanted to get out today before we got started with our study. But, lo and behold, we're already into this many, many minutes because I had something I really felt I needed to say and share with you all. And, and that example that I said I wanted to give you, I, I'm going to give it to you right now. All right, chapter 6 and verse 1. Just, just to give you an idea. Okay, it says, Then I saw the Lamb open one of the seals. After that, I heard a sound like thunder. Then one of the four living beings proclaimed, Come and see. Now listen what happens. Verse 2. Behold, then I saw a white horse and the one sitting upon it holding a bow and a wreath. Some versions say a crown. And he was assigned to go out and conquer and subdue. Okay, this is an excellent example an excellent example this don't forget the the very first seal was opened okay and it says i saw a white horse and the one sitting upon the the white horse was holding a bow does it say bow and arrow does it say bow that you use for hunting does it say that? It does not. It does not say that. How do you know he wasn't holding the rainbow that was over the throne of our Heavenly Father? That's referred to as a bow. How do you know that it wasn't one other rendering of this word? And I'm going to tell you how. You, you will know what it says. You'll know by the gift of the Holy Spirit, okay? See, people assume that because it says he had in his hand, he was, or he was holding a bow, that that means a bow and arrow. And that, the, that the, the, they interpreted it that way. But it doesn't necessarily mean that. It doesn't necessarily mean that. It, it, um, it, what you have to understand is that 
when we read about the description of our Father's throne, what was, what was over the top of our Father's throne? There was a beautiful bow of colors. We refer to it as a rainbow. But there was a bow over the top of his throne. And what does that represent? It, let me just read something to you. God's bow serves as a reminder of his promise to mankind. An unbreakable bond between the creator and his creation. Okay? This bow that's over the top of his throne. And don't forget, rainbow, that's our word. Okay? We came up with that in our time. This bow that's over the top of our Heavenly Father's throne. And by the way, that uh, bow is very colorful. Okay? Just like we see after a rainstorm here. Okay? That's why we got rainbow. The most important part of it is this right here. It represents an unbreakable bond between our Creator, our Heavenly Father, and His creation, us. It's a bond between Him and us. In time of trouble, in the presence of anguish, God sends his bow and we see it in the form of a, of a rainbow because that's the, like the only time we ever really see what you know oh look the light is coming through the water molecules in the sky and it's reflecting different colors and that's giving us an idea and making us think about God's bow the rainbow you see it makes us think about his bow with us okay I'm not going to run crazy on this all right I just want to make a point here that this bow that was set in, in the skies, in the heavens, and is over the throne of our Heavenly Father, represents His promise to mankind, okay? It's an unbreakable bond between our Father and us, His creation. And that's a fact. So maybe, just maybe, when this seal was open and this rider on the white horse what he had was maybe the representation of the bond, the bond between our Heavenly Father and creation. And he's on a white horse, and he's riding forth. You know, the next horse is a, is, is a I don't want to get ahead of myself, but you'll understand when we talk about the next horse, why, why, you know, wait a second. So what if? This bow is a representation of God's bond between us and him. And this rider is going forth. Well, now let's, let's look at the rest of the verse. The rest of the verse says this. It says, and he was assigned to go and conquer and subdue. Now, what was in his other hand? In his other hand, it said he possessed a wreath. Now, this wreath is made of, of something that's leafy and it's circular, but many people refer to it as a crown. And you've seen them. It's kind of like the Olympic crown, you know, that has like the leaf. It's open in the front and the leaf's around the back. But it has a representation. Do you remember earlier how 
one of the gatherings, one of the churches said that they would be given a golden wreath and what it represented, that it represented the 10 gifts of the Holy Spirit. It represents the 10 promises of the Holy Spirit. The, the, you know, the fruits are the promises. The, the, you have the gifts and the fruits. It, it, it is amazing. Do you remember when we, we talked about that, how wow that was? So, didn't want to pass up the wreath before we get to the part about conquering and subduing. Because he has the bow in one hand. He has the wreath, the, the gifts, this, this promise that he made, all right? This promise, this bond that Father has between us and him and the wreath in his hand and the rider on the white horse is going forth. Okay, is he going forth to conquer and subdue? No, that's how it was written. You know, that's how it was written. Do you know that that particular word that people have translated, it has different meanings. Okay, one of the meanings is to conquer, comma, to overcome. So now, maybe conquer is not really the best word that should have been put in there. Maybe the rider of this white horse who has in one hand the bow, the, the bond between mankind and God, his children, and the wreath in his other hand, He's going forth to those who have overcome. Oh my gosh, every gathering, every gathering, all of them, all seven of them. My goodness, what was the last thing that was said to them? To him that overcomes. So maybe he was going forth to, to, to those who have overcome and have carried the victory. You see, that word is used twice. It can either be rendered conquer, overcome, to subdue. Or it can be rendered overcome. Or it can be rendered to carry off the victory, to come off victoriously. Listen. It says... Jesus victor was victorious over all his foes. Jesus was the conqueror of all his foes. He was victorious over all his foes. Okay? You see how that, how, if things aren't presented to you properly? So, now the rider of the white horse is carrying the bow and the golden wreath in his hand has tremendous representation to those who have overcome and have become victorious. Let me read you another translation of the word that is used for conquer, okay? This is number three. This is what it says. Of Christians that hold fast their faith even unto death against the power of their foes, their temptations, and their persecutions. Christians who conquer and become victorious from the power of the beast. So now, verse 1 and 2 
specifically number two, the rider of the white horse, who goes forth with a bow in his hand and a golden wreath in his hand to meet those who have overcome and who have become victorious over the beast. Wow! Listen. This is how you receive spiritual meaning from words that have just been written by people who may not have had spiritual discernment when they wrote the words. But when you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, you will see what Father wants you to see and understand. You see, there is so much more to this verse than just this. Behold, then I saw a white horse and the one sitting upon it holding a bow and a wreath and he was assigned to go out and conquer and subdue. Oh, really? And when you find out that the next horse, the second horse, the fiery red horse, what he was given to do, you're going to understand why the white horse was not given uh, the, the job to go out and conquer and subdue. You see, the white horse was carrying God's bond between us and him. He was carrying the, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all of them, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, all of them. He was carrying these things to the overcomers, to those who had made victory over the beast. That's what the white horse was going out for. And the only way you'll ever know that is by having the promise in your life. Listen, we're going to continue with this in the next get-together. I just thank you for taking the time today for listening. I am so grateful that you stayed with it. Now, listen to me. We're going to continue this in our next study. And we're going to we're going to start with the first horse again, go on to the second, the third, the fourth, and and the fifth, and we're going to we're going to just really drill down on this and look at it spiritually, not literally. Okay, we're not going to look at just words written on a piece of paper. We are going to look at it as though the Holy Spirit is guiding us because He is. And I want each and every one of you to really get a hold of this because this is life-changing information to you. So thank you. Thank you so much for taking your time. Share this with your friends, your family. And if you have any, any questions whatsoever, right here, the book of life revealed at gmail.com or the promise from Jesus at gmail.com. Any of those, you can get a question to us and we'll get it back, an answer back to you. Uh, and it may not be the answer you want, but it may be uh, an answer you do want. We don't know that, but we won't share anything with anybody unless you ask it to be. So uh, I look forward to seeing you the next time. I am so, so very glad that you joined us until then. Jesus loves you. Don't forget to take time to pray. If you can do it, get on your face. Bye-bye.